Welcome to 2019. Uh, you guys feel good? Yeah. New year, new you. Feeling feeling so fresh, so clean. <laughs> uh, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm going to be getting us into God's Word. Um, if you have a Bible, you could just set it on your lap. We're going to not be in any particular text, uh, but I will cue you as we go. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and uh, one of these lovely gentlemen will get one to you. Some of you guys um, maybe are having uh, separation anxiety. It's been about maybe three or four weeks since we've been in Luke. So we've been going through Luke's gospel for, I don't know, how long have I been here? Two, two and a half years probably. Uh, but I actually wanted to take a step out from Luke's gospel one more time uh, this Sunday um, to look at, and you, you may notice uh, the title there in the bulletin, Why Read This Old Book? I want to look at Bible reading, I want to look at the Bible in general and, and, and what it means to read the scriptures, why we do it. Um, I'll explain uh, how this kind of was on my heart. Uh, it seems to me that when I, uh, you know, about the turn of a new year, almost every year, uh, the blogs, the, the people that I follow, the ministries that I appreciate, uh, they all kind of explode with uh, content on this subject of Bible reading and Bible reading plans and what's, it, what, what, what's your year going to look like and why do we do it and all these sorts of things. And I thought, you know, it makes sense to pause um, in the transition uh, between one year and the next and consider um, our reading of the scriptures. Uh, it makes sense to pause in general and reflect on the last year. How did it go? Uh, what's there to celebrate? What went wrong? What would we like to see different in the new year? To take stock of our roles and our goals and our schedules and kind of how our daily liturgies or daily habits are, are working out. It makes sense to pause and reflect. And for the Christian, it in particular makes sense to stop and ask, how are we faring with our reading of Scripture? How are we doing with getting into God's Word? There is for us no more worthy a subject for our reflection. There is for us no greater endeavor than to try to grow in this discipline, in this practice. And so we may stop at the, um, the beginning of a new year and ask, hey, how is it going? What goals should we set? What plans should we make? What habits should we try to develop? But as I thought about some of those things for myself and um, imagining for you guys as well, it's not lost on me that um, there's probably a deeper question that a lot of us, though we may not voice it, are asking. And that would be this. Why even read this old book at all? <laughs> okay, all my blogs and Facebook feed or whatever, the, the ministries, they're talking about reading the Bible. And getting this or that plan and doing this or that. and uh, But I'm sitting here kind of going, wait, if I'm honest, why read this old book at all? Surely there are better uses of my time. Surely there are things that would 
uh, be more efficient, more effective, bring about more results, at least the kind of results I'm looking for. Why would I give myself to reading this old book at all? We might know that we should be reading our Bibles, but I wonder if we know why. And so that's really the, 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 the heart behind this sermon. I just want to give us seven reasons. I could have given us a hundred. I already cut out three last night when I realized how, well, how much content I always have. You know, but I got seven. It's a biblical number. I could, I could be okay with seven. I'm going to give you seven reasons why we should give ourselves to reading this old book. And if I have time at the end, I'll give us a few practical suggestions in terms of the, the how. Uh, how would we go about it? How do we make a start in this? So I recognize that with seven uh, reasons here, I'm not going to be able to go as deep into them as I would like. I'm just going to give you some teasers. I'm just going to give you some things to think about, consider. My hope is that fresh inspiration uh, will arise in your heart to engage God and his word this new year. So with that, would you pray with me before I dive into reason number one? Though we are here at the outset, every time we gather, every time we open the scriptures, every time uh, we begin a service, Lord, we, we ask for your help. Because we know that without you, we can do nothing. You said it plainly to your disciples. Apart from you, we can do nothing. At least nothing fruitful. Gosh, we can do a lot. A lot of vanity, a lot of chasing after the wind, a lot of talk. But God, the sort of thing that we want to do, the sort of thing uh, that involves meeting with you and being transformed, maybe even for some being saved. God, that's not something we can manufacture. That's not something we can do in our own strength. It's something that we just throw ourselves down at your feet here and ask you to come and do. And so I pray, open eyes in this room. I pray, open ears in this room. I pray, open hearts in this room. By the power of your spirit, through the preaching of your word, that people may be saved, sustained, strengthened, and ultimately, even inspired to get into the scriptures and meet with you. I can't do it, but you can. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Um, so why? Why read this old book at all? Reason number one. Because it is God's word to us. Because it is God's word to us. I should say, I realize I don't have a handout for you like I normally do. So you're going to have to pay extra attention. Uh, but in case you want to zone out, always remember, you can access the um, manuscript, my notes and things, when uh, it hits the, our website. Um, but I, I actually, I'm going to be leading worship in the, in the back set uh, music for today because Sally uh, just got back from her European ad- adventure and uh, she was, uh, she called me, could barely talk, so sick, uh, like t- a day ago. So I was like, okay, all right, we're doing it. So I didn't have time to do your hand up. I'm sorry. Stay with me. Reason number one, 
because it is God's word to us. Um, when it comes uh, to why we should read this old book, I think the first reason uh, we should put forward is, is simply this, because it is in fact God's word. And it's God's word to us. Obviously, I don't have time in these moments, nor, might I add, do I have the skill to make a full-on apologetic sort of case for why the Bible is God's word. I'm going to have to kind of take some of that uh, by faith here and assume that we can, um, we can receive that together. But what I do think, as Christians even, who have already said, yeah, this is uh, the Bible, we believe this is God's word, it's helpful to step back and think about the implications of that statement. That this right here is in fact the holy God's word to us. And before I draw out some implications, I, I do at least want to put one text on this. So you can see that the Bible itself, this old book, does in fact claim to be God's word. Second Timothy 3, I'll read 14 through 17. This is now pretty much the sort of famous place that uh, we might go to see this. Uh, but let me read this to you. Second Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says this. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, here it is, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good Work. The point of focus, obviously, for us in the moment right now is verse 16, where he says that all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture comes from the mouth of God. Yes, we know it comes from the pen or the quill or the whatever of man. But it comes ultimately from the mouth of God. It's not a mixture of, hey, some parts are uh, God's word to us and other parts, gosh, let's just toss that out. Paul's bold enough, brave enough to use the word all, breathed out by God, his word to us. Now, when once we realize that the Bible is God's word to us, we, I think, uh, uh, should be struck with a question, stand back, reflect, struck with the question, what in the world is God doing speaking to us? What is, what, what is the God of the universe doing engaging in dialogue with me? Writing letters, giving words to you and I. Now, I recognize that maybe some of us... Um, and for a lot of us, actually, we, we like to kind of think of ourselves as relatively important. We, we like to kind of assume, yeah, we naturally would belong in such a dialogue as this. Of course God would speak. And maybe those of us who have, have uh, grown up in the church kind of imbibe that idea of, hey, God, yeah, of course he's going to speak. But step back and think about it. He is creator. We are creature. And beyond that, he is holy and we are sinful. 
What in the world is he doing engaging in dialogue with us? I, I wonder if you've been kind of tricked into seeing this, even for yourself, and the, stand back and wonder at it, by kind of reading through the Gospels and watching who Jesus hangs out with. You remember his 12 disciples, uh, at the risk of being irreverent, I might even call them the 12 imbeciles. <laughs> you watch these guys as Jesus is walking with them, talking with them, right? You see how they rebuke Jesus at the mention of his death on a cross. The very thing that's the center of our faith and the center of the scriptures. They go, no way, not you. They rebuke him for it, or we watch them arguing amongst themselves as to who is the greatest. We see him attempting to bribe Jesus and uh, try to see who can get to on his right hand and on his left. We watch as they fall asleep when he tells them to stay alert and in prayer, and if they are snoring deep, REM cycle sleep, check the Fitbit, man, that was a good nap. We watch as they betray him for a few pieces of silver. We watch as around the campfire out uh, in front of uh, where Jesus is being uh, taken by the Sanhedrin. We, 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 we watch as they deny ever knowing him. Or as they run to save their own skin. We watch that even as he's risen from the dead and he shows up to them in resurrection glory, we watch as, as Matthew would tell us that even still, as they watched him ascend, some were doubting. And if you read carefully and you, you see the sort of company that Jesus keeps, don't you just go palm to face in those moments? And say, what is he doing keeping company like this? What is he doing walking, talking, dialoguing with these, if I could say, idiots? They don't get it. They don't see it. Man, put me in, coach. I could do something. But then, of course, it's in those moments that the Holy Spirit, in that tough and tender way that only the Holy Spirit can do, turns those, those texts, turns your judgments on you. And like Nathan the prophet with David, we hear, you are the man. You are the one. And we're struck fresh with wonder that Jesus would be walking, talking, engaging, keeping company with us. How could it be? How could it be that he would come and speak to us? In this old book, you know, as I was thinking about a way to help you maybe grasp this as a reason for reading, I was thinking about, um, um, you know, if you, I recognize that the current president is somewhat of a, uh, co co uh, what would you say, controversial figure, to say the least. Some people maybe love him. Um, got, you know, Make America Great Again tattooed on their bicep, but then others perhaps despise him and don't want anything to do with him. But here's the bottom line. If the president of America, if you catch word that, that the president of America, of America left you a message, 
wants to speak with you, cares about dialogue with little old you here, you know, in South San Jose, and, and, and you've got this voicemail from the president sitting on your phone. Are you not going to feel intrigued in that moment? Are you not going to be interested? Are you not even going to feel a bit honored? Are you not going to attend to that message? What does he have to say? What can I... Don't tell me you're just going to delete it and move on. Or let it sit there, like I do some of my voicemails, unfortunately. Some of you know that well. No, you're going to attend to it. And how much more so then, when, when, when the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of the universe speaks, should we attend to his word? But what does he have to say to me? And so I suppose the first reason we should read from this old book is because it is a profound privilege to do so. It's God's word to us. And therefore, at the start of 2019, let me encourage you, take up this old book and read. Reason number two, because it is the way we commune with him. Because it is the way we commune with him. Why read this old book? Because it's the way we commune with him. Obviously, this is related to the first reason, but now I want to highlight something and make sure it's clear. It it needs to be clarified that the Bible is not just kind of a dead document. That, okay, yeah, maybe God inspired these words for us, they're written down, and now we kind of come in like historians would, like an ancient document. We can maybe get a sense of who he is, what he's like, as we kind of excavate the words, so to speak, and get under and try to look and, and, and tell and see. But, but we treat it like an intellectual exercise. What I want you to know is that's not how we read our Bibles. We actually read our Bibles to meet with him in the present moment. It's not looking back and trying to get a sense of how things were in the past. It is meeting with him In the present, it is a place of communion with our God. As we read by the Spirit, Jesus himself comes to commune with us. So, I would put it like this. Bible reading is not merely some intellectual excavation into the things of the past. It is actually an interpersonal exchange with the living God in the present moment. The reason why the author of Hebrews would say that the word of God is living and active is because the living and active God shows up and moves and communes with us in and through his word today. One of my favorite texts that uh, makes this point is, is found more broadly in Second Corinthians chapters three and four. Obviously, I don't have a uh, the time to uh, do a full exposition of those two chapters, but I did want to bring a few things out for you to consider on this point. You can see how the Word is where we commune with the incarnate Word. You might say in Second um, Corinthians three eighteen, Paul kind of elevates us towards one of the most stunning realities in all the Bible. Uh, Speaking of New Covenant believers, he writes this, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Now, let me do a little bit of work to help you see what I'm after. Um, The background to this verse is in the Old Testament. And it's with Moses. And when he was meeting with God face to face, we're told, whatever that entails, in the tabernacle. And we're told the glory of God was so present there that as he would go in to meet with Yahweh, his face would start to even take on some of that radiance and shine. But it would slowly fade over time. But Paul is saying that in verse 18 that this sort of thing, only to a much greater degree, is happening now for us. That we have access to God, that we get to behold His glory, that we all start to take on some of that radiance and shine only for us. It's kind of this unveiled thing. Moses veiled it because it was fading. Ours is unveiled and it's growing ever brighter. But the question that comes out now at this point is how? How do we behold His glory. Paul is saying new covenant believers have access to God, can behold his glory. I'm saying how do we behold it? Where do we behold it, Paul? I want to see it. I want to be transformed by it. Where do I go? Now the surprising answer to this question comes actually when we consider the surrounding context of verse 18. On either side of this text, the discussion is concerning the Word of God. The Bible. This, this whole book. These words. I'll take you just to one example. In Second um, Corinthians 3.14. Speaking of the Jews, Paul writes this, For to this day, when they read, do you hear that? When they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. So here's what he's saying. The, the, the Jews, they read this old book, and there's a veil there. They don't see glory. But then he's making his way to verse 18 where he says, we new covenant believers on the other hand, when we read because of the mercy of Jesus, that veil has been lifted and we behold glory. They read and they see nothing. They hear crickets. We read and we see Jesus standing forth, come to commune with us by his spirit. We see his glory in and through his word. The image I'd like to leave you with regarding this second reason is this. When you open up this book, this old book, and you read what Paul, if I'm understanding him right, is saying here. And I know I went fast and didn't have time to do all the stuff I'd like to do there. If I'm understanding him right. What Paul is saying is when you open up that book, 
It's as if you're walking with Moses up to the, 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 the little flaps in the, in the tabernacle, opening up the, the sides to that tent and walking into the presence of Almighty God to behold his glory. Sit there with him, commune with him. Thunveiled face. Be transformed. Be changed. How we're here. So, as we transition into a new year, if God feels distant to you, if you kind of look at your life and you're kind of going, where are you, God? Let me encourage you. Take up this whole book and read This is one of the primary places on this side of heaven. He is going to commune with you, meet with you. It's right here. Reason number three, why read this old book? Because it supplies the Holy Spirit, because it supplies us with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, in Christianity, for quite some time now, it seems to me, um, there has kind of been this uh, dichotomy uh, that we kind of create, this distinction, this contrast that has kind of developed where uh, we kind of feel like we're forced with a decision. We can either be the type of Christian, kind of the, 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 the Bible-thumping kind of Christian, or we can be the Holy Spirit, spirit-led, warm, vibrant, exhilarating, adventure sort of Christian. You can either be the dead, orthodoxy kind of Christian, great doctrine, cold as ice. Or you can be the spirit-filled, passionate Christian, Man, they're on fire. They're always laying hands on people or raising hands up in the air and whatever it may be. And there's this dichotomy. We feel like we're supposed to make a choice between one trinity or the other, either the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or the Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? That's kind of how it's put forward. One is warm and vibrant and life-giving. The other is cold and stale. Maybe right, but it's wrong. I will never forget um, when I was first um, starting as the, the college pastor at my church there back in St. Louis Obispo, there was a brother at the time, older guy in the faith, who was in well-intentioned trying to mentor me. Um, and one of the things he said, here's, here's what he said. He said, Nick, here's what I want you to do. You go out into the woods and don't bring your Bible. You know your Bible. I want you to get to know the Holy Spirit. And even, again, I can, I can see his well-intentioned heart in that. But even in my immaturity and my, my, my youth, I sensed something was off. I never did that. <laughs> I, I, I want the Bible. I like the Bible. I want to read the Bible. I think the Spirit meets me in and through it. And let me tell you something. The scriptures know nothing of this dichotomy that we create. 
In fact, Jesus himself, it's amazing, uh, as a way to try to kind of indicate for us the close connection between the two, spirit and uh, scripture, he virtually conflates them into one in John 6, 63. Listen to this. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You say, you want the Spirit? Come to my words. The words that I've spoken to you are Spirit and life. Or there's another text in Galatians that I love. I mean, it set me free from so much legalism. Uh, but right now I want you to see how the Spirit is related to the Word in Galatians 3, 1 through 5. This is what Paul writes. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit, here it is, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So for my purposes here, what I want you to see is Paul saying, listen, guys, you want to know how you get the spirit? You want to know where the spirit comes from? Hearing the word and engaging it with faith. It's not going to kind of drop from something in the sky necessarily. It's not going to be something you can work up and get yourself towards. It's going to come from, tell me the old story again. I need to hear the gospel again. I need to hear his words again. And spirit fall and help me trust. And he says, that's how the spirit's going to be, going to be supplied in power. Miracles among you lead to growth and all this. So as we transition into a new year, let me ask you this. Do you want the Spirit to be supplied to you and work miracles among you and lead you onward in sanctification and, and, and unto glory. I suppose that you do. And if the answer is yes, then here's my encouragement. Take up this old book and read. Because He meets us. He supplies the Spirit to us in and through the Word as we hear and believe. But this now leads to a fourth reason that I would give us for why we read this old book. Fourth, it awakens faith. Because it awakens faith. We talked about this last week, if I recall, when Art um, preached a great sermon on Hebrews 11. And we mentioned, I think, uh, he did in his sermon and me afterwards as well, Romans 10, verse 17 where Paul says something quite profound to this point. He says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. Or I should say, sorry, through the word of Christ. Did you hear that? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word 
of Christ. What this means, the clear implication is that without hearing the word of Christ, there will be no occasion for meaningful faith. There will be no awakening of true, authentic, saving faith. That hearing the word is the means by which God has ordained faith to be awakened. If faith, as the author of Hebrews puts it, is the conviction of things not seen, faith is the conviction of things not seen. Here's my question. How do you come to know about these things you don't see? If faith is conviction about things not seen, how do you come to know about these things unseen? Answer, the Word. The Word of God. It's the Word that, 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 that uh, opens up worlds to us that we might not fully see. It's the Word that tells us about realities that maybe our eyes would seem to betray. We open up the Word of God and we hear of His great love for us or of His Son's death for us, or of His commitment to keep us and bring us into the new world that He is redeeming in Christ. Sometimes those realities seem far from us, right? Like, I think it may be Peter who says, where is the promise of your coming? You know, there are going to be people who say, where is it? doesn't seem like He's coming to me. I look out with my eyes and I don't see it, but I open up this whole book and there it is. Faith attaches itself, is awakened by the Word. Now, I don't mean to imply in this that the process is automatic, as if when you open up this book, it's kind of like, you know, your kid on a Saturday morning when you were hoping to sleep in, they want to watch cartoons or whatever, it's nudging you on the, on the leg and it wakes you up. Faith is awakened, I open my book. It's not an automatic process. Sometimes it may be, but there are other times that opening up this book, really what happens is it initiates what the scriptures call the fight for faith. <laughs> like it's a battle now at this point to go, do I believe and trust my eyes or do I believe and trust his word? There's this fight for faith. Sometimes it just awakens. Sometimes we get down on our face like that man in, I think it was Mark 9, with the demoniac son. Going, I've seen this kid foaming and messed up for years. I don't get how you could change this, but I'm hearing about you. I believe, help me with my unbelief. I see one thing, but I hear another. Show me that you could do it. I believe, help me with my unbelief. There's this fight that will begin for faith as you open this old book. Let me just give you one example. Maybe you feel shot through with sin. Maybe you feel dirty, filthy. Some of the stuff you did maybe last night, maybe Last year. And you just go, I get that God is holy. I get that He is pure. I get that I'm a sinner. But I don't get 
how he would want anything to do with me. I don't get how I can run into his presence and expect mercy and grace in my time of need. When I think about coming before a holy God, I want, like Adam and Eve in the garden, to cover and hide. But you take up this whole book and you read Romans 4, 5. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Justifies, counts righteous, the ungodly, the dirty, the filthy. His faith is counted as righteous. You read that, you man, I feel like I gotta work my way back up. I feel like I gotta clean myself uh, from what I've done. I feel like I gotta pay him back for the things that I have done wrong. But then I read this and I go, Jesus, it's his work that counts for me. Jesus, it's his death on the cross that paid back. For all my wrongs. Yesterday, today, tomorrow. I am counted righteous. I am washed. I am clean in Him. And you open this book before you. You bring out that word. You pray over it. You cry over it. You ask God to help you with your unbelief. And maybe, just maybe, by grace, the Spirit meets you in those moments. Jesus comes and communes with you in those moments. Faith is awakened in those moments. And you get it. Conviction of things unseen. So does anyone in here struggle with a doubt or unbelief? You find yourself kind of going, I'm not sure about God. I'm not sure about what He's doing in my life. This doesn't seem good. This doesn't seem right. In those moments, perhaps, I think at least, when we're doubting, the last place we typically want to go is the Scriptures. I don't believe this. Why would I open it? I'm struggling to trust it. Why would I even want to be interested in it? I want to look at other options. But what I'm seeing here is that when you open up this old book, faith is awakened. So in 2019, let me encourage you, take up this old book and read. Reason number five, reason number five, I have no idea when I started, but uh, hopefully you guys are doing okay. If you need to stretch, uh, stand up and stretch. Here we go. Reason number five, why read this old book? Because it produces fruit. Because it produces fruit. Um, I uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek said it at the beginning of this service, but I, I, at the turn of a new year, typically, you know, you hear that cheesy little phrase and ad campaigns try to use it to their advantage. You're, new year, new you. And maybe they're trying to get you to join their gym, you know, so you can find This is going to be the year you actually shed those pounds, Right. Uh, this is going to be the year you actually get that six-pack you've always wanted. In January, you're motivated. By February, you're kind of losing steam. By March, you've tapped out and you got a bag of Doritos on the couch. <laughs> the new year, new you. Maybe they're talking about your finances and getting out of debt, whatever it may be. It sounds kind of gimmicky, but here's the bottom line, and here's what I'm after here with this point. God, without any gimmick, God, without some sort of underhanded kind of uh, sleight of hand sort of way, 
can honestly say that to you. If you would take out this old book and read. This new year, if you would give yourself to the scriptures, would bring about new things in you, would produce, would bear good fruit. And give you victory, perhaps in things you didn't think you could get victory over. The scriptures talk about, uh, there's a metaphor that I find helpful, talk about the, 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 the word of God as like seed. And then it talks about how from the seed of the word, fruit comes forth. Let me read you this. Colossians 1, 3 through 6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, hear it now, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. It's an amazing verse. It's an amazing truth. He's bringing out here. He says that when you hear the word, when you put yourself in the way of God, in, 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 in the word of God, It's as if you're kind of scattering seed in the soil of your heart. And he's going, man, because of that, there's faith and there's love. And I'm hearing about it. There's fruit that's coming forth because of the gospel, because of the word of God in your life. And we ought to take that to heart. We ought to let that inform the way we approach 2019 in our resolutions. What that means is is all your resolutions are going to be worthless unless they start with this. All that other stuff about fixing it on your own or I'm going to get this done. or I'm going to... Listen, you need, you need God's word. You need the spirit. You need Jesus to give you that grace, that ability to bear that fruit in your life. To not... Come to the seed and scatter it in the soil of your heart. Uh, I was just thinking about like an analogy. Like, and if we, we don't come to uh, our garden and expect, like by springtime, if I just walk out to my, uh, we, we actually have some garden beds, but we let them uh, lay fallow this last year, mainly because the rats kept getting to them, and I got so angry last year. I said, I'm not doing this again until I can build a cage to keep those things out. Anyways, we have one laying there, like these garden beds, and how foolish of me if come spring I walk out expecting to find cucumbers squashed and all sorts of great stuff. Let me just pluck this melon right here. This looks great. No, what will be there is weeds, and rightfully so, because I didn't scatter any seed. I didn't care for the soil. And so in the same way, if we want 2019 to be a year where we flourish, a year where there's fruit, a year where we grow in love for God and love for neighbor, the things that matter eternally, well, then it needs to be a year that we take up this old book and we read. Sixth reason why read this old book, we're, 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 Almost done. You're doing well. Because it is our weapon in the war. Because it is our weapon in the war. When Jesus is facing temptation in the wilderness. 
Matthew 4, Luke 4 records this for us. You probably remember if you have a background in Christianity. He's baptized. God declares his pleasure over him. My beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. But then the spirit propels him out into the wilderness to do what he's come to do, which is ultimately overcome the works of the devil. And so he's there facing the devil in in hand-to-hand combat, if you will. Three times the devil comes to him with temptations. And three times, do you remember how our Lord responds? Each response begins with three words. It is written. And then a quote from this book. Paul, the apostle, picks up on this idea of spiritual warfare and the use of the word in Ephesians 6. He starts talking about our battle. And it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against your neighbor, you know, who, who, uh, I had this one neighbor who he was, when I was a kid, he was, he was, uh, so cantankerous. He didn't like this tree that was growing. He literally, he literally cut the straight line up, you know, uh, the fence line from his side of our tree that was on our side. He just cut it because he didn't like it. Uh, You're not in a battle against your neighbor. You're not in a battle against your boss. You're not in a battle against um, that that, that person at at work or uh, at the gym or whatever it is. Paul says, listen, this battle is against the spiritual powers of darkness. There's a war that we can't even see going on. And in Ephesians 6, he says, therefore, we need to take up the whole armor of God and get ready for this war that we are in, whether we know it or not. He says, hey, you should take up things like the, you know, the shield of faith. You should put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, all these sorts of things. But here's what I want to point out to you. There is actually in his whole list of armor, we're supposed to put on only one offensive weapon. Only one weapon that can actually be used to kind of come at the spiritual powers of darkness, the devil. And you want to know what it is. Verse 17 of Ephesians 6, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So, again, illustrating this for you, let me ask you a question. If nation went to war against nation and you were drafted to fight and the day came for you to go to the front lines do you think is there any any universe any possible universe in which you would on that day as you are sent to the front lines forget your weapon back in the bunker whatever you were the tent or whatever it is Do you think you would ever forget, like, oh, I was just too busy kind of getting my affairs in order in the morning. Making sure that my uniform looked good, or I was up too late the night before kind of FaceTiming with my wife back stateside. I forgot. Can I go back and get it? No, your gun would be your lifeline. Life and death is going to hinge on that weapon for you. You would not forget it. And, and, and yet, the reality is, so many of us enter our days without thought of this war that we are in. And without picking up, without taking up the sword of the Spirit, the only weapon we've been given. 
to fight in this battle and win. So, again, my encouragement to you, are you feeling tempted towards things you know? You, know, you don't want to tell anybody, but you know it's wrong. Do you feel like you are regularly giving in to stuff and can't seem to gain victory? Do you recognize that you are in this battle? Maybe it seems like the devil even has you kind of captive in these moments. Take up this old book and read. In it you will find sword for the war. Last thing that I would say for um, reason number seven. Why take up this old book and read? Because it satisfies our souls. Because it satisfies our souls. The, The word of God, because it is all of these things that we've just delineated and so much more satisfies our souls. Because we catch a glimpse of God and we commune with Him and the Spirit meets us and faith is awakened and fruit starts coming forth and we gain victory in this war and all these things. What we start to experience is there's satisfaction in this place of reading the Scriptures, the Word of God. For this, I just simply want to read you a few verses from Psalm 119, the longest book or chapter in the Bible. And it's all really keying off of the word. But here's what he says. Listen to the psalmist and perhaps reflect on whether this is your experience. The law of your mouth, this is verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than a thousand, um, than thousands of gold and silver pieces. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, verse 103. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold, verse 127. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments, verse 131. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil, like there's treasure here. I can't believe I came across this plunder doing this Bible study. What an amazing thing. Verse 162. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. Verse 172. The satisfaction found here. Panting, longing, treasure. More so than gold. More more pleasing than honey. It's God's word to us. So do you want to be satisfied? I know the answer to that question. Yes. And you may be looking all manner of places to try to fill, to try to attain it. It may be, man, okay, and and, and oftentimes at the beginning of of the year, this is when we kind of evaluate, right? Okay, I'm feeling empty. I'm feeling like I'm missing something. What are the goals and the things I feel like I need to get satisfaction? So we, ah, you know, if I got that girl or I got that boy, if I got that kid or I got that job or I got that promotion or I got whatever. Or maybe I need a change of scenery. Maybe I need to move here or there and looking. And all the while, answer's right here. God will come and satisfy our souls as we take up this old book and read.
Now, I said if I had a few moments um, at the end here, I just wanted to get into the how. Just give you a few quick suggestions, ways you might make a start at reading the Bible this new year. Uh, I don't want to... Um, to bore you, but I do want to make sure that this gets traction in your life. And so I'm going to be very practical for just a moment. We looked at the why. You go, okay, man, I see why this might be important. But that's, there's a big leap between seeing the why and then getting into the how. Opening this thing and going, what did Deuteronomy 21 just say? We're looking at that just the other day with some friends. It's crazy stuff. What do I do with this? I don't get it. Let me give you a few suggestions, things I think that you might uh, need to get um, to help you along on this journey. Four things for you. First, get a good Bible. Get a good Bible. Might seem like a very simple solution but uh, or place to begin, but uh, it's very important. For this, just to be brief, I would highly recommend the ESV Study Bible. I have not come across anything better than this. Uh, let's be honest. The Bible is confusing. What I just talked about, you will open up to certain chapters. I don't feel anything. I didn't meet with God. I, didn't, I don't feel fruit. I'm so confused and turned around. I don't even know if I like this God. Let me tell you, I have been to seminary. I've devoted my whole life to studying this book. And I still need help. Okay. I will always need help. I always want help. Help me. Guys that are just a little further in front of me, that know a little more, might help me see from a different angle. That's where this comes in. I'm holding it in my hand because I'm going to give it away. Um, does anybody want it? Can I do that in the middle of a sermon? All right, my man. Look at that, dude. That's one of our youth right here. That is amazing. That does my heart good. Listen, I feel like God would be pleased if I... Uh, even if I'm uh, resorting to bribery to get people to read his word. But take it up and read, brother. Because um, seriously, I, I will find that I get confused. And in there you'll find cross-references that will lead you to other texts, give you better perspective. You'll find commentary down on the bottom that help you gain your footing in hard texts. Strongly encourage you go there. Uh, to not have something like that in my mind would be for me to kind of like take you out to the middle of the ocean. Maybe you've never swam before. You don't know. And, and just drop you in. No, you need floaties. You need lessons. You need help. That's what that is. We wouldn't expect you to swim out there. I don't know why we expect you just to open up and understand all this. It is complicated. And God provides shepherds and teachers to, to help. No doubt the Spirit works and helps. But He also uses teachers and men, women. Second uh, thing I think that I'd l- you, you would need to help in this journey, well, you need to get a good plan. So a good Bible and a good plan. Um, there are a number of things I wanted to tell you statistically here, but I'll just simply say this. I wonder if you know that if you read the Bible 15 minutes a day, you'd be through it in a year. Did you know that? And, and I, I looked online, ESV, uh, audio Bible, uh, 74.5 hours. The guy's reading it. Just reading it. Same four point five. Sounds daunting. Sounds intense. Divide that by three, six, five. Fifteen minutes. And that's being generous. It's actually twelve. Twelve minutes a day. Okay. Or come at it from another angle. Um, there are, I guess, uh, one thousand one hundred and eighty-nine chapters in the Bible. Sounds really intense. I've never read a chapter book that big. Are there any pictures? <laughs> 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 Sometimes in a study Bible there are. 
But you divide that by 365 and it's about three chapters a day. So here's my encouragement, finding a good plan. Here's what I like to do. I found this from Don Whitney's book on the spiritual disciplines. It's wonderful. If you start reading Genesis, Job, Matthew, at the same time, Genesis, Job, Matthew, and you read a chapter in each one of those a day, you'd be through each of them at about the same exact time at the end of the year. Now, do I read the Bible in a year? No, never. You know me, I like to chew on one verse forever. But I still am kind of moving through. I've got three bookmarks that are in place there, and I'm slowly moving through these books. And here's why I love this. Here's why I love this. A lot of times people get stuck when they just read, and then they kind of get to Leviticus. They're motivated. Kind of like the people at the gym. January, they're motivated. Genesis is pretty interesting. By February, Exodus is pretty cool. By March, Leviticus, I'm tapped out. I'm done. But what's neat is is when you're reading in three different places, especially the way that I just outlined for you, it's got this kind of balanced approach for one thing, but then another thing that is really important, near and dear to my heart, it teaches you to read towards Jesus. Because you see the tensions, you see the promises, the prophecies, the sins, the the bad kings and all this stuff. And then you move towards the New Testament and you see Jesus and the relief of all that tension, the fulfillment of all those promises, the substance of all those shadows. You go, wow, what an amazing thing. You see the one story and its completion in Christ. I would say thirdly then, so get a good Bible, get a good plan. Happy to help if you want. Get a good method. Alright? Get a good method for reading the scriptures. I would encourage you, read from a chapter two or three, whatever it may be for you, and then do a deep dive on a, on a verse or two that the Spirit seems to be ministering to you in those moments. Do a deep dive there. And what I would encourage you to do, um, that's why I put that bookmark in the, the, the bulletin today. I made these bookmarks. It comes from a sermon, a couple sermons I did a while back. I'm actually going to make it into a booklet as well so you can kind of help kind of see what this sacred path thing is all about. Revisit it. But on the bookmark are just these questions that I would encourage you to engage. Help you discover, nurture, and apply. DNA method is what I call it. And if you give yourself, I mean, I do this. Every, almost every day with the, with the scriptures. If you engage these questions, now my sense is that you will slowly learn how to read all of scripture towards Jesus. You will learn how to draw scripture down from your head into your heart and out into your hands. You won't let it just sit up here. Oh, that was good. I did my reading. No, there's more to it. So get a good method, whether it's that one or others. I'm happy to point you to things. Finally, and this is where I'll leave us, get a good friend. Get a good Bible, get a good plan, get a good method, and get a good friend. Uh, this is hard, and, and um, staying faithful in the scriptures is a community project. Yes, there is something very important about getting alone with God, for sure. But we do that, in a sense, together as well. So maybe you just grab someone and say, hey, I see why I need to be in the Word. I don't always feel like I want to be there. I, I, I struggle with it. Can you hold me accountable in this? Support me in this? Pray for me? Maybe you meet once a week and you both talk about how it's going and what God is speaking to you, teaching you. Or maybe you even take, say, you know, if you're reading through a book or something, like that, maybe you take Job or you take Matthew or whatever it is and you say, hey, let's read that one together. 
And let's ask some of those questions around uh, the coffee table or whatever. And get into this and see what it's like and do it in community. A good friend is a great help in the journey. And I so desperately want to be a church that reads the scriptures together. But the bottom line in all of this, guys, is this. God wants to meet with us. The God of the universe who stands outside of time, outside of space, speaks to us here. He wants to commune with us. He wants to give us his spirit. Fill us. He wants to awaken faith. He wants to make us fruitful and flourishing. He wants to, he wants to give us victory over sin and Satan. He wants to satisfy our souls. So again, 2019, let it be a year we take up this old book and read. Let's pray. God, we rejoice that you have spoken. We would not know you by our own intuitions, by our own opinions. Gosh, we turn with every blow of the wind to something different. But you have given us an anchor in your revelation, your self-disclosure in the Bible. You have told us who you are, what you're like. You speak to us. You meet with us there. Jesus, I pray. I pray that we would more and more experience what that psalmist was talking about, that it wouldn't seem like a foreign land to talk about your word like honey and better than gold. But it would seem like a present experience. Would you give that to us, even here this morning? By your grace, I pray. Amen.